Hello and welcome back to Wisconsin Law in Action, a remotely recorded podcast where we discuss new and forthcoming scholarship with University of Wisconsin Law School professors. I'm your host, Chris Turner, and my guest today is the Associate Dean for Library and Information Services and the Director of the UW Law Library, Bonnie Shuka. Dean Shuka is here today to discuss her new paper titled Representing Law Faculty Scholarly Impact, Strategies for Improving Citation Metrics Accuracy and Promoting Scholarly Visibility. The paper focuses on scholarly visibility of legal academia publishing and the role that law libraries play in enhancing visibility, impact, and discoverability. Dean Shuka recently presented her paper at the Yale Citation and Law Symposium and is a leading authority on citation metrics, analysis, and promotion of scholarly visibility. Today, we'll dive into how Dean Shuka's paper examines the effects of the upcoming U.S. News World Report rankings of scholarly visibility on law schools and how the University of Wisconsin Law Library has taken proactive steps to ensure our faculty's work gets the attention and citations that they deserve. Thank you for joining the podcast today, Dean Shuka. Thank you, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm looking forward to discussing this topic. It's extremely important and obviously very near and dear to both of our hearts. Right. Before we discuss your paper and that topic, let's learn more about you. How did you become interested in law librarianship and scholarly visibility in particular? Well, I sort of fell into law librarianship. Um, when I went to grad school, I was actually intending to be an archivist. So I got my double master's in history and library science. Unfortunately for me at the time, but ultimately it turned out to be fortunately, I couldn't find a job as an archivist. But I was hired as a solo law librarian at a firm in Milwaukee uh, with actual, absolutely no legal background whatsoever. So those were a rough couple uh, of years, but I would say I can't adequately express how much I owe my fellow Wisconsin law librarians who sort of took me under the, their wing those first few years. Um, <clears throat> so after I had been uh, a while at the law firm, I took a chance on a position at the UW Law, uh, law Library, um, where I have been very happy for the last 21 years. Wow, time has sure flown. Um, about 10 years into my time here at UW, I decided to pursue my JD, um, and I did so while I was continuing to work full-time as a law librarian and raising two young kids, a challenge to which I know you can relate, Chris. Um, regarding faculty uh, scholarly visibility, the UW Law Library has a long history of promoting faculty scholarship, uh, starting from managing submissions to SSRN many years ago um, to more recently creating an open access digital repository that provides free online access to faculty works uh, whenever we can and copyright allows. So access to faculty scholarship has been a special emphasis here at Wisconsin as part of our broader UW philosophy of the Wisconsin idea, which holds that university research should be applied to solve problems and improve the quality of life for all citizens of the state and beyond. And for that research to be applied, it must first be available and visible, hence our interest in sc faculty scholarly visibility. So it seems like the announcement from U.S. News and World Report was a really a driving factor for law schools and libraries to take a harder look at how these citations and metrics are formed. What is it changing exactly and how does it affect law schools? Yeah, I think that's right. Um, in February 2019, U.S. News announced that it would be releasing a new scholarly impact ranking and that it would rank law schools based on citations to law journals in Heinlein. Line. And as I understand it, this ranking was proposed as an alternative to the subjective peer assessment measure that currently makes up 25% of the U.S. News's best law schools rankings. Um, 
However, U.S. News had said, has said that this new scholarly impact ranking will be a separate ranking and that there are actually no plans to integrate it into its best law school rankings, at least at the present time. So these kind of rankings aren't new. Um, there have been numerous law school rankings um, based on cit legal citation metrics dating back as early as the mid-1980s, with, I'm sure, um, the most well-known and developed by University of Chicago's Brian Leiter and continued by Gregory Sisk and his team at the University of St. Thomas. Um, but where the ranking of law school citation metrics in, in these, the lighter and the CIS rankings, and sort of largely been, largely been an academic exercise, U.S. News' entrance into the field has raised the interest and stakes of these kind of metrics substantially. Yeah, those interests and stakes seem to have also raised a lot of concerns among faculty and librarians. What are those primary concerns with these proposed rankings from U.S. News and World Report? I think the most commonly stated concern about the U.S. News ranking is that it relies on law journal citations from Hein Online, and it's not expected to include books in interdisciplinary scholarship. Um, so critics argue that the exclusion of scholarship in other formats and, discipl and disciplines creates an incomplete and unfair representation of law faculty, total output, and impact. Um, however, there are others that say that this exclusion of this content doesn't really matter. It's immaterial because relatively few law faculty that focus in these areas are spread across many different law schools. So in essence, the failure to capture their scholarship essentially washes out over the broad comparison. That's interesting, because in your paper, you closely review interdisciplinary rankings to see if those are not well represented within U.S. News and World Report rankings. Uh, what did you find? Were you surprised by that? Yes, I was actually surprised. So. Um, what I wanted to do was to find out if the in inclusion of interdisciplinary scholarship in a law faculty citation metrics ranking would affect the conclusions that one could draw about um, law faculty sco total scholarly impact, and if so, how it would affect it. And it turns out, um, as, as you alluded to, that it can have a very profound effect for some schools. Um, so I reviewed the findings of three different studies. I compared the 2018 CISC ranking of law journal citations in Westlaw and the 2019 ranking by Heald and Sickleman using law journal citations in Hein Online. So I compared those two rankings against the third ranking, which was a 2019 study by Rule, Vanderberg, and Dunnanway, which ranked the top 25 law schools, um, according to U.S. News, by interdisciplinary scholarship citations using Web of Science. Um, for those that aren't familiar with Web of Science, Web of Science is a multidisciplinary citation analysis database. So it, although it does, there, does offer some sort of basic coverage of legal citations, um, it, there, it's not very um, substantial. So they were excluded from the study to get really a sense of um, the interdisciplinary content. So there were several schools whose law journal citations rankings differed substantially from their interdisciplinary scholarship citation ranking. Um, so for example, University of Minnesota ranked number one in interdisciplinary scholarship, but in the law journal only citations, ranked 21 in the CISC study on Westlaw and 20th in the Heald-Sickleman-Hine study. Uh, Boston University also ranked much higher in interdisciplinary than in law only citations, ranking number seven in interdisciplinary and 27th and 21st in those two law journal only studies. Conversely, the University of Chicago and Harvard had a much higher law, law only citation rank than their interdisciplinary rank. 
Um, the University of Chicago ranked three and six in those law studies and 19th in, interdis in the interdisciplinary study. And Harvard ranked second on both of the law studies, but 15th in interdisciplinary scholarship. Of the top 25 schools in the rural Vandenberg and Dunaway study, 12 of them, which is almost half of them, had a difference of over 10 rank slots between their interdisciplinary citation ranking and one or both of those law journal only citation rankings. And five schools had a difference of over 15 rank slots. So knowing all that, um, I then took a look at the University of Wisconsin's metrics. Um, and UW has a long history of interdisciplinary scholarship, which is why I wanted to specifically find out how they would fare um, in a comparison ranking like this. So UW wasn't included in the CISC Law Journal study, um, but on the Heald Sickleman study of um, law journal citations in Hein Online, it ranked number 79th, which was substantially below its U.S. news ranking. It also wasn't in included in the Rule Vandenberg and Dunaway interdisciplinary study, so I ran those numbers myself using the same methodology that they did. And their uh, results were very surprising. Um, I found that UW would have been ranked number one for interdisciplinary scholarships and not by a small margin. Um, as I stated earlier, the highest ranked school that it was included in their study was the University of Minnesota with a weighted citation score of 190 um, for interdisciplinary scholarship. Wisconsin's weighted score was 802, more than four times higher. Wow. It seems like some of these rankings focus more on traditional law school writings versus and maybe ignoring interdisciplinary writings. Do you think there's an opportunity to kind of show students uh, in, if you're interested in different kind of disciplines, this might be an opportunity to go to Wisconsin or Minnesota or Boston where they do more of these kind of studies? Yeah, I think it's important um, if you're going to be showing students any kind of um, scholarly rankings, I think it's important that you be inclusive about all of the kind of information and, and, and studies that faculty are producing. So for those who are interested in more interdisciplinary type scholarship themselves, they can compare schools and they can see um, that, you know, while one school may, again, have a lower law-only ranking, their interdisciplinary scholarship is might actually be much more important at that school. So it might be a better match for the student. So with these disparities, which seem pretty clear following your study of, of the rankings, do you see rankings being substantially changed or even done away with? No. Um, change maybe, done away with, no. Um, given these kind of differences, it certainly would be easy for me to suggest, again, that the ideal solution to the representation problem would just be to sort of combine them into one, right? Combine law faculty citations from all disciplines into a single cita citation metric if that were even possible. Um, unfortunately, it's not that simple because the norms of citation differ across academic fields. So for example, a 2016 study found that an average life science scholar had about twice as many um, citations in Google Scholar as an average social sciences or engineering scholar and about five times as many citations as an average humanities scholar. Um, and in Web of Science, those differences were even more pronounced. So. We're sort of left with this, we can't live with them, can't live without them scenario. Um, so again, even in the field of law, there are different differing norms of citations. So for example, constitutional law and law and economics generally generate more citations than other legal subfields, such as family law, trust and estates. Um, 
So without a way to reconcile these problems, it may be impossible to create a truly representative total scholarly impact ranking of law faculty based on citation metrics. Um, but no, I, is that going to stop anybody from doing so anyway? I doubt it, right? So for better or worse, CISC, US News, and others are going to continue to rank the scholarly impact of law faculty using citation metrics. Um, but what I hope is that my findings encourage those who do produce those rankings to recognize and be upfront about acknowledging that the choice of data source and methodology that they use can dramatically alter the conclusions that can be drawn from those comparisons and that whatever decisions they, they make can carry heavy consequences, either um, positive or negative for some schools. Everyone loves a good ranking. You, uh, if you see a top 10 list, everyone loves to click on that or read that or see where their school or their team or whoever has been ranked. So I don't think we're going to get rid of human nature. No, I don't think we are either. But I, I like your idea that this is an opportunity to kind of show uh, more inclusivity about what people are writing about, whether it's law review journals, which of course are very important, or book chapters or books or interdisciplinary articles, all of which is critical output for law schools in many different ways. Right. I mean, I think for any ranking, you have to be un upfront about the data source you're using, what methodology you're using. And, and again, just, just to note that, the as I said, the conclusions that you draw based on the, the sources that you're using might be completely different if you had chose to done it to do it in a different way. And I think if, if US News is going to be getting involved in this, it's important, especially important that they be upfront about it. Because, um, as you said, some students may be looking for a particular kind of law school and may get the wrong impression um, or may have an incomplete picture if, um, you know, interdisciplinary scholarship is, ex is excluded. That does seem like another maybe opportunity or silver lining here for schools to take advantage of how they are ranked in different ways to say, oh, are you interested in something that's medical law, for example, we do really well with that as far as our faculty and our scholarship here, as opposed to more traditional law scholarships, maybe some education or advocacy by law schools might help draw out some of the more granular aspects here. Absolutely. So that's the first half of the paper here on the analysis of the rankings conundrum vis-a-vis -vis scholarly visibility. So let's move on to the second half, which focuses on strategies for law librarians and faculty to enhance their own visibility. So what are some of the practices that you consider most important or even essential to creating a larger impact? Um, well, I cover a lot of different strategies in the paper. So I sort of took an everything in the kitchen sink approach in presenting kind of all of the different options available. Um, some of these strategies require a relatively small amount of time and effort, while others are much more time intensive. Um, and there are some that are simply just more effective than others. So. I think it's important to note when kind of looking at these strategies is that one best practice does not fit every author in every law school. So I encourage people to sort of look at the full slate of options and then decide what might be right for them. Um, many of these techniques um, have, a, have been identified and in some case developed by our librarians here at the University of Wisconsin Law Library. Um, at the UW, many of our strategies center around mandatory one-on-one -on -one librarian meetings with each tenured and tenured track faculty member to employ a lot of the strategies that are described in the paper. We call these meetings scholarly wellness checks. In these meetings, um, we focus first on making sure 
that we've correctly identified the author and all of their name variations, um, as well as all of their scholarship. So that's sort of the first step. Um, then we make sure that as much of their work as, as possible is freely available on SSRN, institutional repository, um, as well as on some more emerging legal resources um, like ScholarSift. Since US News will be using the Hein data, we pay special attention to curating Hein Online author profiles, making sure um, checking the, the author lists and the, or excuse me, author names and publication lists, and then checking for errors and making sure that there's nothing missing or incorrect. Um, and then of course, reporting it to Hein Online. We also help curate author profiles um, in other high impact databases, specifically Google Scholar and ORCID. So in 2019, another study of law faculty found that the adoption of both Hein Online and Google Scholar author profiles offer distinct scholarly visibility benefits for law faculty. Um, in that study, they found that works by law faculty with Hein Online author profiles were more likely to be cited than works by authors without Hein Online author profiles. Um, Works by authors with Google Scholar profiles also enjoyed a similar citation advantage, as well as increased downloads in SSRN and institutional repositories when compared to scholars without Google Scholar profiles. So again, those two are particularly important for legal authors, so we spend some time um, curating those prof profiles. We also create and curate ORCID IDs for all tenured and tenured track faculty members, um, which addresses the, their name ambiguity issues, if there are any. Um, and even better, when linked with an author's Hein Online profile, brings information about their interdisciplinary scholarship and books into Hein Online. Um, and it does so by putting in it, it into a special tab within their author profile. Some faculty are interested in examining their citation metrics from Hein um, and some of the other databases um, so that they can review them and check them for omission and errors. We note that this. This is actually quite time intensive if, if you're going to go down the route of um, checking for missed citation and frankly isn't quite as impactful as some of the other strategies um, that I've, I've discussed in the paper and that I've noted um, earlier. But so our librarians actually don't routinely run these kind of checks for faculty. Um, we will spot check here and there um, and if faculty notify us of errors that they have found we will absolutely report them to Hein Online, but it isn't generally a, a, a major part of our um, scholarly wellness checks. Um, one thing that we can also do if, if faculty are interested in these meetings, um, we can offer strategies for creating titles and abstracts that maximize discoverability of an author's works and provide guidance on distributing their scholarship through email and social media, as well as um, track tracking the impact of those efforts through altmetrics. And we also offer a podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> One thing going back to the name disambiguation, uh, we had David, Professor David Schwartz on here last year. Of course, he shares a name with, I believe it's an econ or scientist, as a scientist. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was just heavily, heavily cited. And so we had to disambiguate the law scholar from the scientific scholar and just make sure that the sites are going to the correct places there. And that's just a good, I think, a good example of one part of work that we do and they can get pretty intricate, but very important at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, if you're the, the very first thing you have to do again is make sure you've got the right author. I mean, anything else you do following that isn't going to matter if you're looking at the scholarship of the wrong person. <laughs> 
Yeah. And the faculty that have very common names, that's just, it's going to be a problem. Or if they've written under multiple different pen names over their career, that's something else to try and pull them back together. <laughs> that can yep, be, so. take some time. Yeah. Uh, so you have just, like you mentioned, uh, discussed the kitchen sink and then some there uh, for practices, <laughs> best practices here. Uh, for libraries that have limited staff or limited time, what should be their first focus? Good question. Um, I actually, I'm, I'm going to, you're asking me for one and I'm going to give you two. <laughs> so I think because I think these things work together, right? So the first thing is the most important thing for faculty visibility is just to get it out there. Um, you know, make sure that the faculty, you know, scholarship is available online. So if copyright allows, get that faculty scholarship posted to SSRN and your institutional repository where readers can find it and then hopefully eventually cite it. Um, and then second, what we were just talking about, make sure that it's listed correctly. Um, you know, this is especially important um, as far as the U.S. ranking, U.S. news ranking is concerned, because um, it's going to be drawing on the Hein Online content. So you absolutely want to make sure that the author profile in Hein Online is correct. So make make sure again the first step, make sure that that the name is in there properly. Um, that you've got, they've got the correct name, they've got all the possible name variations, um, which can include use of the middle name, this middle initial, um, all of that stuff. And you make sure that that's right. And then also check it to make sure that um, every article that, Law Journal article that is available in, Hine, in the Hein Online database for that author is actually included in their profile. Um, we definitely found instances where um, one of our law faculty had written a law journal article and Hein Online, even though it was in Hein Online, it wasn't being attributed to their profile. So make sure that everything in Hein Online is actually being properly accounted for in the faculty member's author profile. Uh, I think those are the two most important things that you can do. Yeah, a little bit of Hein vigilance goes a long way to make sure that even if it has been integrated, that it makes its way to that all important profile for sure. Absolutely. So you mentioned those scholarly wellness checks a little bit ago that we do mandatory checks with tenure and tenure track faculty here at UW. Have you found that faculty are engaged with these scholarly wellness checks and how should librarians advocate for the importance of this work? Um, yeah, I think our faculty have, um, I found them to be pretty engaged and good partners um, in these efforts, but it, it certainly helps that our, we've made those scholarly wellness checks mandatory for tenured and tenure track faculty. Um, and we did so with the support of our dean and associate dean for faculty development on this work. So I think that really that support has been essential into getting buy-in from the faculty. Um, we cultivated that support by first educating ourselves on the U.S. News ranking, kind of conducting analyses, as I've mentioned, on how it might impact our faculty, sharing that information with the law school leadership, and then developing and implementing a plan to work with faculty to improve their scholarly visibility and impact. So again, developing a, a plan first for how we were going to manage these scholarly uh, wellness checks. And I think we can continue to receive strong support from both the leadership and the faculty because we've shown that these strategies work. So for example, in early 2019, when US News announced its new scholarly impact ranking, our librarians began working with tenured and tenured track faculty to curate their high and online author profiles. Uh, since that time, 
The number of UW Law School faculty citations high online has increased by 196%. Now, certainly some of that is due to just the number of additional citations that have accumulated over that time, um, as well as a lot of the good work that Hein has been doing um, to improve their data um, and indexing processes. But I do think a large portion of that, maybe even the majority of that, is due to our librarians working with faculty members to curate those Hein online profiles. As, it, as I mentioned, we found a fair amount of errors, um, things that were missing, and we work very hard to correct all those th those things, and I think that it has paid off. Yeah, as they say, we have the receipts for this work to show <laughs> that we have done the legwork here to improve citation metrics. And while Hein online has definitely been very responsive, I think that without some of the nudging and work from you and the librarians here, that may not have happened. It's definitely been a team, a team effort. I mean, I think we've, we've made a really good team. I think, you know, you and I were involved in a lot of the early work um, and, and we are very fortunate to have brought onto our staff um, Liz Manriquez as our scholarly communications librarian, sort of in this, in this time between when the U.S. News um, announced their metrics, um, and now Liz has done some really incredible work. So we're fortunately, very fortunate to have her as an addition to our staff. Agreed, no question. Mm -hmm. So at the end of your paper, you also include two checklists that provide guideposts for librarians that are beginning the scholarly visibility journey. Of the online tools that you listed, which ones do you consider the most important? Are there any new tools that you'd like to include? Sure. Um, as far as those that are most important, I would say that um, SSRN and institutional repositories are, are definitely one of the most important tools that we have um, as librarians and as faculty to get faculty scholarship out there. It's If, if people are going to be able to um, cite it, they've got to be able to find it first. So I think that's essential. Um, I think using Twitter to promote faculty scholarship, um, whether it's um, through the faculty doing it themselves and, and coaching them um, on how to do that or whether it's librarians um, promoting it on their own Twitter accounts. Um, we, of course, here at UW also have this podcast, as we've mentioned. Um, and then I think Hein Online would be the other most important tool, right? So curating those author profiles um, to make sure that faculty scholarship is being accurately represented. Uh, as far as new tools or maybe new to you um, tools that, that people may not know about, um, I think ORCID. Um, ORCID IDs for name disambiguation uh, is super important. I think it's going to become more important for law faculty. Um, it's more important in other disciplines than it is for law right now, but I think that may be changing over time. Um, one of the sort of side benefits, and it may turn out to be actually um, an important side benefit, is with ORCID ID, you can also um, connect up your ORCID ID with your Hein Online author profile as a way to get your interdisciplinary scholarship and book content um, information about it, not the full text, but information about um, interdisciplinary scholarship and books into Hein Online. So as, as far as these rankings go, that actually may become very important. Um, Publisher Parish um, is actually a nice tool that I didn't actually know about before I started doing this research. But if you are interested in comparing citation metrics from multiple databases, 
Publish or Perish is a free tool um, that you can download, and it's, it does a really nice job of comparing side-by-side -side, um, citation metrics from multiple databases. Um, unfortunately, Hein Online is not one of them, but with Hein, you can download your own um, XML files of um, citation metrics um, separately that you can then compare against what you find in Publish or Perish. Another new one, um, Scholar Sift um, is a soon-to-be-released tool that uses AI to help authors analyze their work for citations that they might have missed. So um, it's important that authors and librarians work with Scholarship to ensure that their works are available inside of the Scholarship database so that when scholars go in, um, run their AI comparison, that a faculty member's scholarship comes up in part of those search results so um, that others can see um, <clears throat> their works when they're looking for things that they might have missed. Uh, and finally, um, one that I think maybe not a lot of people know about is Altmetric Explorer um, for trying to track the impact of an author's scholarship via social media. Um, and people might know about Altmetrics, but the librarians might not know that they can actually get a free um, access, they can get a free account to Altmetric Explore, Explorer for librarians to be able to search um, the uh, impact metrics of individual scholars. So I encourage librarians to, to check that out as well. That is a cornucopia of different tools that librarians can use to get a full picture of scholarly visibility and impact. That's really helpful to understand what the full picture looks like beyond just Hein or Google Scholar or SSRN. Yeah, I mean, as I said, it's, I really took an everything in the kitchen sink approach on this one because there are just so many good tools out there that I wanted to give people um, the opportunity to learn about each of them so that they can make the decision for themselves whether or not they are the right tools for them. You might have answered this question already, but I'm going to ask it anyway because it's sometimes the hardest question for everybody. Uh, what do you most hope readers take away from your paper? Okay, yeah, very good question. So I think regarding the first half of the paper, I, as I said, I hope my findings on the disparities of interdisciplinary scholarship citation metrics uh, encourage rankings producers to openly acknowledge this representation problem and to note that the, the choice of data sources and the methodology that they use can dramatically alter the conclusions that one can draw from these kind of comparisons and that the decisions that they're making do and can have heavy consequences for some schools. Um, of the second half, as I just said, I hope that readers find this sort of um, the approach that I took, this everything in the kitchen sink approach, to present sort of just a helpful slate of strategies that they can just consider when they're developing their own practices and processes for improving um, metrics accuracy and promoting scholar vis scholarly visibility at their schools. And I think that they will actually take that away. I think it's a great paper and I encourage everyone to go find it. And of course, we'll link to it in the podcast page here as well so everyone can find it because we want your paper to be scholarly visible about scholarly <laughs> visibility. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Uh, where can listeners find more of your work? Uh, well, my scholarship is available um, on our UW Law School digital repository. Um, it's also up on SSRN, and I do, um, practicing what I preach, I do have an ORCID profile, um, so all of my work is also available there. I'll say it again, we're going to link out to all your profiles to make sure everyone can find all your work to make sure they can continue to research and cite your work in your papers that way. Great, thanks. And thank you for joining us today, Dean Shuka. I'm excited to continue UW Law Library's work on promoting our faculty's great publications, including your own. 
And as I mentioned, of course, we'll link to Dean Shuka's faculty page and to her paper on SSRN on our podcast page. We've been discussing the rapidly evolving world of scholarly visibility impact and best practices to make faculty work more discoverable. While I've been lucky enough to work with Dean Shuka on much of this project, I still learned plenty from her paper and presentation and encourage you to read it and begin to put her strategies into practice. You'll see more faculty buy-in and more citations soon after. Thanks for listening to the University of Wisconsin Law in Action podcast. You can find our complete archives at wilawinaction.law.wisc.edu and learn much more about our faculty's work in areas as diverse as tribal law, contracts, bioethics, criminal procedure, public defenders, election law, and much more. You can find and subscribe to our podcast in the Apple iTunes Store or Stitcher, or listen on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash WI Law and Action Podcast. Thank you for listening and happy researching.